2: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Sebastian. I'm joined as always by the player himself, Benny Scallop. Benny, Thanksgiving. We gotta be thankful for something. And you know, I record in Norfolk. I'm I'm a Virginia boy. I cannot say how thankful I am for this guest tonight. I, I grew up watching all this. I mean, we we always say we try and put our little Mount Rushmores together. We haven't even started this interview, and I know this man's gonna be Mount Rushmore of our guests we've had in the last few years. Benny, you got to tell everybody who's on the phone with us tonight.
1: Absolutely, Dan. Well, in in this crazy world of professional wrestling that we love so dearly, uh, there's certain names that, to me, represent wrestling royalty. You got the Von Eriks, you got the Funks, the Hearts, amongst many others. But one of those others is Crockett. And the name Crockett evokes memories of the Jim Crockett promotions in the Mid-Atlantic Territory, which absolutely has to be on everyone's Mount Rushmore of great wrestling promotions so it's an absolute honor to have uh, David Crockett as our, our guest tonight uh, or this afternoon. David, welcome to uh, Dan and Bang in the Ring.
0: Thank you, guys. i tell you what, it's an honor to be on your program, your podcast. Uh, I, you know, for so many years after, let's say, I went to work for Turner. And then after Turner, it's like they forgot me or forgot us that you know that we screwed up and, and and you know but it's all of a sudden uh to me people are are you know with the digital age that they're watching what we used to do and appreciate it so i mean i am honored
2: very honored
1: pleasure ours
2: yes no the, the honor is definitely ours like i said you know i you cannot be a fan of wrestling Explain the territory of wrestling at all without actually loving Crockett, and and we'll we'll get more into that. But I want to start, David. We we normally ask uh, our the same question to start about when the wrestling bug bit. Like when we're talking to our guests, when the wrestling bug bit them. That really, I mean, seems kind of unnecessary here. The Crockett name in professional wrestling goes back nearly a century. So I want to kind of start with a two-part question. One what was it like growing up as the son of a wrestling promoter in a part of the country with really an unparalleled passion for professional wrestling? And the second part of that, did you ever see yourself doing anything else or did you know, even as a kid, what role you wanted and where you were going to go with the company?
0: Wow. It, it was exciting as far as the recognition that big Jim my father had, you know, he started the company in 1933 and 1934, that it also was a challenge in that wrestling was not socially acceptable to a lot of people. You know, the working class, yes, but, you know, middle class, no, it was, you know, and dad too, I was very, all his sons, uh my brother Jimmy and my younger brother Jackie, we were always very defensive as far as somebody make a face, you know, we were like bulldogs. You know, we'd go after them. But uh you know, I as a kid yelled and screamed and ate 20 boxes of popcorn and uh just hated the bad guys, loved the good guys and it it, it was you know, somebody asked me that to people we were having dinner with, and I said every day was different, even growing up. You know, Dad, you know, besides wrestling, he also had a restaurant. So he would be gone in the morning before we would get up to go to school. My mother would get us off to school, then she would go to the restaurant, and then Dad would start working on uh, the promotion. At that time for wrestling. And also, you know, we were doing, uh, he was doing the big bands Tommy Dorsey, Glenn Miller, wow. Boxing, Joe Lewis, Jack Dempsey, the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, cool. Uh, Showing dancers, Dick Clark, True Air promoter. Star, oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. oh uh, I mean, he
0: was truly an entertainment promoter. Wow. But wrestling was always the thing that ended up paying the bills. Everything else had its highs and lows, but the the lows in wrestling were not so much uh, the, the fault of the economy. Even well, when the con- economy was bad, we actually did better. Uh, and at first, when the economy was bad, people tried to hold on to their money, but then they got really frustrated being at home, and so they started coming, you know, in, in droves. My mother would say people would bring food uh, to the ticket window so they can get in and see the wrestling that's you know just like the movies too during there you know so wow Uh, did I you know my father never wanted me in the wrestling business he wanted but I of all of them I I was fascinated when I first was around television as far as the first time I sat in a control room and watched, I said, oh, you know, this, this is fantastic. You know, watching. And, and, too, at that time, we didn't have as many cameras as you do today. But still, you know, the the product they would turn out and the, the sound that, you know, paying attention to the sound, paying attention to the camera. And none of these directors were smart. None of the cameramen were smart. You know, so uh, it was a challenge is after a director did it for several years, they sort of got into the rhythm. There's always a rhythm, you know, to anything, basketball, football, wrestling. But my my dream was being behind the camera.
1: Okay. I respect that. David, your your dad joined the NWA, I believe, in 1952, and uh, um, the territory covered Virginia and the Carolinas, and I believe that's when the term Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling was coined. Now, I'm sure you've been asked many, many times about wrestlers and matches and things like that, but I want to do something a little bit different. I wanted to ask about the fans. Dan used the term uh, before, unparalleled passion, and I believe, and I grew up on Long Island, New York, but I think that the passion of the fans in Virginia and the Carolinas was at a different level, and I think that was an integral, in my opinion, as part of the success of uh, Jim Crockett Promotions. Would you Would you agree with that?
0: Yes, I would. The fans were so loyal. If 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 a wrestler changed his tights, the color of his tights, you would know it in an instant. They'd start asking, "Why do you do this? You know, why? You know, or the rope, or or just change how he was doing the interview. Tremendously loyal, uh, you know the feedback because we, you know, we'd always, you know, when my father was alive, he sat at the entrance of of any building he was in, and fans would come and they would either unload on him, so to speak, or uh, just talk about it, and he would listen. And he said that is the only way to know what they like and what they dislike that and you create loyalty with that. Don't insult them. You know, and you know, and you can tell uh during a a match, if you do a match that insults them as far as some ridiculous finish, they'd fart at it, so to speak. I hate to say that, but yeah. Yeah, they, you know, and then it they, they would be like a bad meal at a restaurant, and they would go, and it would take you the longest time to get them back. So you make sure that you don't insult them, you know. They, you know, because they could go, go through the same thing—people screaming that it's fake—and so, so what? You know, it's fake. It's entertainment, you know. But at that time, we. Protected it to the point that it's real. You know, uh, good and bad guys didn't ride together. Uh, it was you never saw them together. A mask guy would wear his mask, you know, until he gets far away, far enough away to where he could take his mask off. You know, it, they, you know, they stayed in character, uh, in and out of the ring. Bad guys were bad guys.
2: That's, you know, something that I personally think is lost on today's product is the clear dividing line. Absolutely. But- it, it is.
0: Uh, you know, and I think one reason for, for that is the, the fans are confused. Uh, it's so G-rated in so many ways that uh, who's the bad guy?
2: Right. Right.
0: You know, when you have two good guys wrestling each other, even if the other one sneaks in a punch here and there, uh, the fans need someone to yell at. You know, you look at any good television program, mystery or stuff. You got to have a good guy, and you got to have a bad guy.
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, even Mm -hmm. the the bad guy might be sort of good for a little bit, but he's always sneaky. Yep. You know. Yeah, I I would take Ric Flair. People loved to hate him. You know, for so many years, they just loved hating him. Yeah. And 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 then when he flipped, you know, he was a true baby. He could flip back and forth depending on who he was wrestling. Right. Yeah, he was an anomaly. You know, there are so many people that can't do that.
2: Very true. Speaking of wrestling. I was wanted to ask you, I know you, Benny said last time you, you probably hear this a thousand times. I wanted to ask you about the career of David Finley. Now per wrestling data, <laughs> per, we, 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 we always <laughs> like to cite. Oh, uh, I don't know ben, if you'd call that a career ben, or not. Ben, Benny. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever had someone openly laugh when we start to ask them about their career. That's not a good start. And,
1: and they question the use of the word career.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 That's that. that yeah, it was not a career; it was an education. And at the time, I was single. I was the only one in the family at that time, single. I was an amateur wrestler, you know, and you know, I I was having a good time with life. And Dad came to me and and he said, and, and he mentioned that at first. He talked about the Von Erichs, the Funks. You know, there were families, wrestlers, that were in the wrestling. Jim Crockett Promotions, Dad was not a wrestler. So he did not know anything from the wrestler's point of view uh, as far as, are you really injured are you just trying to con me? Or well I'm saying I can't do this all right you can you know and so I said you know I said well and he said what else you got to do you know what are you going to do and I said okay I'll do it so I had Gina Gina Noly and Rip Hawk oh my god you want to talk about hard trying to drop kick a turnbuckle the top turnbuckle I was lucky when I first started to hit the bottom turnbuckle. <laughs> <Jeez>. Yeah, but <laughs> learning how to kick and turn at the same time, or kick and land and spread your your arms out so you can sort of cushion the blow. Mm-hmm. You know, and running the ropes, I was black and blue wow. from you know hitting those ropes because is a metal cable. You've got a plastic tube, and then this metal cable uh, on inside of it. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I used to always wrestle Johnny Heidemann. And uh, he would just – he'd turn me in knots at Tinker Oh, I I could count the lights in all the buildings because I spent most of my time on my back. (laughs) I was a jobber. I was a good jobber. Yeah.
1: Well, you Um, you won your share of matches. I saw the stats. You did win some matches.
0: You count them on one hand.
1: I I thought I saw more than that. Whoever
0: put I I won more than five matches, Uh, uh, I'd like to meet them and and pay them.
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah, because, no. You might owe them a bit of money then.
0: I don't know. Yeah, no. uh, I I remember I did wrestle at Park Center one time in front of my father. And I was wrestling Johnny Heidemann. And I came off the rope and hit him with an elbow. And he said, David, I just want to let you know, this is afterwards, that I grew up in New York. I've had policemen hit me with billy clubs. I have never been hit that hard when you hit me coming off the ropes with your elbow. Mm. I went, really? Wow. I said, I didn't feel it. <laughs>
1: <I didn't laughs> could have well,
0: me. And it take me a couple of days to die. I was I was numb. Yeah, you know, I was so hyped up. And dad never said anything to me about that match.
2: Never. Yeah. Well, it's it's well, funny. I just, what you know, Pardon? No, I, I was going to say you were, you were talking about your. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. You were talking about your your wins and losses. The uh, uh, cage match, which tracks. Cagematch.net, which tracks statistics um yes. does does have now this is just the matches that there's official record for You're you were 48 uh you had 48 wins in your career and about two thirds of them came against charlie fulton who had over a thousand career losses so that's something for you no <laughs> no yeah, dan right Re- uh,
0: charlie and i spent a lot of time together
2: but wrestling I think data
0: they got him 63 wins wow yeah, he won over me a lot more than I won over him. Usually, it was in a place like uh, Charleston, South Carolina, or Roanoke or Lynchburg uh, that we would wrestle spot shows. Never any really big places that I remember. I did. I know. I did a, a job for Bruce Bernard on television.
1: Oh wow! Okay, that's Isn't... scary.
0: That that's scary. <laughs> You know, and also Brute, you know, would he would eat cloves of garlic like you chew chewing gum.
2: <laughs> Jeez.
0: Oh, it was something else.
1: Oh, boy. Then
0: I had, oh, Art Nelson. Art Nelson, I didn't wrestle him, but I was the second in his sort of box, uh, tape fist match, and I had to cut him. Oh. Oh geez. Feeling oh yeah, yeah. And that's the first time. And and to feel that you know, he said, Cut me the cat, cut me. Deeper. Huh. Oh. oh, that was
1: mm. David, yeah, I wanna talk- you look- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was Go gonna ahead. say I- that um uh we're gonna talk about you know, we're talking about how, reality and how real everything was. But um, little known fact is that you were on that same plane with Ric Flair, Valentine, Bob Bruggers, and uh, Mr. Wrestling uh, Tim Woods. Unfortunately, you were the least injured. But I wanted to talk about Tim Woods, and I, I, I'm not even sure if this is true or not. But I heard this from uh, I heard this in a Flair interview that um, you know there was rumors that he was on the plane with Flair, which would have been a huge breach of kayfabe. And then Woods, to, to just to dispel the rumors, uh, I think he wrestled like a week or two after the plane crash. Just so that people would think, oh, no, he couldn't have been on the in the plane because, look, he's wrestling already. And uh, just to me, that's like absolutely amazing how seriously K Fabe was taken back then. And yeah. I just, you know, now it's the polar opposite that, you know, you see guys who, you know, beat the crap, who supposedly beat the crap out of each other on Monday Night Raw. They're going out for a beer after the match.
0: He left that night from the hospital. He would not stay in the hospital. He left that night. Drove back, got a ride back to Charlotte. He had broken ribs along his spine, where Oof. my head went through the seat, and broke up. I had a dislocated shoulder, broken ankle, pretty bad concussion, and uh, a lot of facial injuries, and about three teeth that were shattered. Uh, mm. and nerves just hanging.
1: Yeah. So. Wow. Oof.
0: And I don't remember anything for about six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And still today. I sort of remember, but I don't in that. I don't know. I can't remember what I was told or what I remember. I know Johnny Valentine, he said we were the last two people they took out of the plane. And he said and I I was complaining to him that I couldn't remember. And he said, David, be glad you do not remember.
1: Right. Why would you want to remember
0: that? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, he said that The smell of fuel and he did not realize he was you know his spine was broken he thought his legs were hooked by some metal or something and and he couldn't get them out did not realize in that wow he couldn't move jeez yeah and then yeah and yeah my seat was the only seat on the plane that did not break loose i was in the very back on the left
2: and two you know
0: i i know rick talked about it that. The pilot feathered the engine on the right side when we were around uh, Florence, South Carolina and Lumberton, North Carolina. Both those cities have airports. Why we did not land and refuel, now he dumped fuel, so that's what happened. We ran out of gas. Why he did not land and put more fuel on, I haven't the foggiest. I know. You know that we didn't leave you know because it was afternoon, maybe three o'clock, two o'clock when we left i you know I know it was still daylight then, but I, why didn't land? I don't know, but i I do remember going over to Cape fair, that's when the left side started sputtering, and the only other thing I really remember is. My son was three weeks old, so I was trying to practice Lamaze so I wouldn't get the wind knocked out of me and get knocked out, not thinking my head would go through the seat. Yeah. But I saw mm. a buzzer. I heard a buzzer and a light go off. And my father-in-law, who was a pilot, said that was the stall warning. So he had stalled the plane at some point, and that's when we went nose nosedive. Yeah, you know, I, I recently saw a picture of that crash.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, it's I until well this year I have never seen a picture of the crash. Didn't want to.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Well, very lucky. I call Rick up at the anniversary and say it's good to be alive.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Give me uh, considering I mean not not only it's still. One of the, I don't want to call it a what if, but I mean, not just that he survived and recovered, but would go on to have arguably one of the greatest careers in the history of wrestling after that fact is still just absolutely amazingly amazing, incredible. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. He broke his back,
0: yeah, you know, cracked it, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, a crack is a break to me. But you know, later on, he had a gallbladder. Uh, operation, You know, so he is one of the luckiest guys on earth, if not the luckiest. Yeah. Here he is. He almost died. I went down there to Atlanta, intensive care. You know, he, his whole body was shutting down. They had him on an alcohol drip because he was going through the DTs. You know, he's a functional alcoholic. He'll tell you that.
1: Right.
0: You know, and you go, how does he do this? And then when he gets out he wants to wrestle you know he said well you know maybe i'll go on the gas to, uh pump up a little bit and, and wrestle again I yeah you're
1: nuts <laughs> but i like you <laughs> who,
2: he, different, who, different who he is i mean right just... now absolutely
0: yeah he's one of those that lived at 24 7. right you know you can ask his ex-wives about that <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and his and his children, you know, uh, uh, you know, he's, you know, golly. One like of a kind, for David sure. Talk, right. His son, David, won't talk to him. So, yeah. And, you know, there, I guess, you know, it's, he, there are advantages and disadvantages to be Ric Flair. You
2: know, so. Right. And and to think, you know, he just what Benny was it last week or the week before they announced he signed a multi-year deal with AEW. Yeah. So I mean, it'll be, it'll be seventy-five in January. Yeah. Still still making money, and and bringing the bringing the fans in. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Well.
0: Bringing the fans in, yes, making money. He needs
2: to. <laughs> yeah, so he spends it. Come on. Well, Rick, you gotta, he got a lot of ex-wives too. In, in, in one hand and oh, out yeah. the other, as they say.
0: Ex-wives and a girlfriend. That, right. Uh, right. Uh, she she knows how to spend the money.
2: Well, like my my. You know,
0: and each one each one of her kids have a Ric Flair uh, credit card. So they do a pretty oh, good geez. job too. There you go. Money. Like like yeah, my dad. So, you know, and and Rick does. He's got this gorgeous boat down in Tampa, and he went. He said, "Dave, let's, you know, shoot a video on this boat." And I said, "Rick, are you driving this boat, or do you have a captain?" <laughs> he says, "I have a captain." And I said, no. "Okay, I'll get on the boat with you, but if you didn't have a captain, there is no way.
2: No, I would get on
0: the boat just because knowing, you know, what he would do as far as speed and, you know, for thrills. So no, yeah." Beautiful, That's beautiful boat. So yeah. You well, know, like... his multi year, I hope that he is a commentator or a manager or he helps the talent. If he gets back in the ring. Yeah. It all uh, it, it just... would do. You know, it's like it's it's like Ric Flair's last match. Uh Yes. Yes, and no. I I thought it would be better. Now that I've seen it, I no. It, you know, it's people people were sad about the match. I was sad. He passed out three times. He yeah. dehydrated. He was so so De- nervous.
2: Dehydrated.
0: You know, uh, he was, just, he was so afraid he'd disappoint the fans, you know, that you know he just didn't eat and drink
2: and you know water.
0: Uh, <laughs> it it, it, was, it he, was a shame.
2: He, he there was drinking involved. It just wasn't water or uh, Gatorade.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially
2: after the match. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. yeah. Well, you know. It, 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 we've had a lot of guests on the show um, for for several years you teamed up with as, as our, the great Jimmy Valiant would call him, Tony Shivanto, and, and did color commentary for WCW um, and we've had, like I said, we've had a lot of guests, we've had folks in every position, writers, wrestlers managers, talents, we've never had an announcer, I'd love to hear your take as to what the role is of a good announce team and what that role should be
0: I was more a fan than an announcer. You know, I did not start out to be an announcer. Like I said, I wanted to be behind the scenes, to be, you know, in the uh, director's booth, you know, producing that show. But our announcer showed up, you know, at the time uh, for a taping at WREL. And he was drunk. So Jimmy and I flipped the coin. I lost. So I started an announcing. And I was lucky enough to have Bob Coddle,
1: Oh, geez. Tom
0: Bob. Wow. You know, and I just sort of picked up. I said, you know. Here's this guy that's calm. And, and I'm a fan. So I'm going. Well, I need to be like the fans. And if it's. You know, if the match is exciting, then I'm excited. If the match is not exciting, well, I'm going to talk about the weather, right? You know, or anything else. But, but now with Tony, see, Tony, he was the announcer for my sister at the single A ball team that she owned part of in Greensboro. We heard my brother and I heard him on the radio. And we just we were needed another announcer to do two shows, and so here's this kid, and I said you know, and he looked like a kid. We told him, he said, all right, Tony, you've got to grow a mustache or something. You need to look a little bit older. So, and he is an encyclopedia of wrestling. You know, uh, he's like Jim Ross. You know, Jim, uh, you name it, and he he knows all about it and all about the wrestler and, and all the fascinating facts. I'm the guy that's going nuts. Hmm. Uh, you need that, though. It, it was fun. We, we had, Tony and I had fun. I, and was it, was it, did we get called down sometimes? Yes. I, you know, we had a, uh intercom to the back, and and yeah, I had, you know, uh, they, they told me to calm down a little bit, but uh, you know, Dusty Rhodes told Tony, he said, you know, David Crockett's not one of the best announcers, but he's raw. He's real raw, and uh, that's the way I, I felt that I should be. I'm not, you know, I was not and I am not polished. You know, I tried to control my thud and drawl. Ain't nearing dozy doze, so to speak. Uh, hi, y'all. So I, I tried to control that uh, and and speak better, so people could understand me. Uh, but other than that, it was you know, Tony and I just just clicked. You know, and he would laugh at me and I'd laugh at him. You know, but uh, he also would say Bob Cottle was he was the, the common influence for both of us, because a lot of the the shows, the
1: like the Greensboro and we'd tape it. So, uh, David, you know, speaking of announcers and, and and their roles, you you did something that was quite unusual. You took. A Russian sickle from the Russian nightmare, Kida <laughs> Koloff, prior to the 1985 Great American Bash. I guess you were interviewing Ivan about uh, Ric Flair, and uh, you, I guess you even poked him in the chest once. And all of a sudden, and I was watching it on TV. I was like, "Holy crap!" And it was it was a very rare thing back then for an announcer uh, to have any kind of physical altercation with a wrestler. But so, what was the, what was oh, yeah. the thought process behind that? Well, it didn't happen until that
0: night we were in Shelby, North Carolina, uh, uh, television taping. And of course, you know, Jimmy didn't come to me, but Sandy Scott said, you know, David, uh, you know, uh, and Dusty came too. And, and they were sort of hesitating and I'm going, what's wrong? And they finally said, well, we'd like for, for you. To take a sickle from Nikita. I said, "What?" <laughs> I started laughing. I said, "Come on, yeah, yeah. I, you know, they, that guy. You know, uh, his sickles are, you know, he doesn't know how to pull them. Yeah, you know, there is no way you know, he was on stiff. earth. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen him. I've seen him just kill people with that. And and uh, I'm going, oh, God. and what? And then I said, why? Why do I need?' to do that, you know, with him and, and so they, they laid it out, you know, for Rick to turn baby face and all that. And I said, oh God, (sighs) okay, take it for the team. And Nikita was sort of off, uh, uh, to the side and he starts laughing and he said, I've wanted to do this ever since oh, I met you. jeez, that's not a good sign. <laughs> and that grin, and he, 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 oh.
2: Uh,
0: and that, that really said, I, I, I don't know, you know, I was hesitating. And so with the interview, no, I didn't know when it was going to come. He was just going to do it when he felt it was right. So, you know, I'm sitting there giving uh, Ivan grief and look at Nikita and, and thought, you know, what's wrong with you, big guy stuff. And and then he, he hauled off and hit me. And I said, I felt like someone running when you play kick to can or hide and seek at night. And you're running through a backyard and you run into a clothesline. You felt like you spin around the line. Right. Well, that's what I felt. Like. Yeah. And I hit I hit the floor. Oh, jeez. And I laid there. I didn't move cause I'm going, all right, I've got all my teeth, all <laughs> right, I feel like my head's all right. My chest hurts like hell. Uh, Well, you know this and I, d- I just laid there and, and I said, I decided in, in myself, to even make the guys in back believe it, because uh, I'm sure they did. They, they, uh, and the of, you know, he, well, he was giggly. He said, God, ah, I loved it. I loved it. And, <laughs> but I just laid, <laughs> I laid there until they had, uh, you know, get some people to help me out. And I still collapsed in back. You sold Sandy it, Sandy Scott, I did Sandy Scott put me in the back of his car. And took me home, Jimmy had to drive my car home. I mean really i I milked it for all it was worth. I said, if I can get the guys to believe it, you know and it it's worth it to me and uh un, un, <laughs> then you know Saturday, the show comes on, and my wife gets starts to get all these calls. Is David all right? Is David all right? And we just saw it. And, and she looks at me and she said, What'd you do? <laughs> and I just saw it. <laughs> uh, that's why, you know, from the time of the TV taping <laughs> to uh, that, that Saturday, I didn't leave the house. You know, again, just milking it, you know, trying to make everybody believe that it was real. I, I was still old school. I still believed, you know, you, yeah. you've got to, uh,
1: as they say, keep kayfabe. Yeah, right.
0: And I definitely it was a very
1: impactful moment trust me i i saw it when it happened yeah you definitely could say impactful
2: oh yeah yeah (laughs) literally right you know it's it's funny yeah i you know i've i've probably seen that clip I don't know, 20, 30 times in my life, different wrestling montages and just watching stuff. Knowing the story now, I'm gonna have to go back and watch it again. And just, it's good. It's, it's like, it's like no, knowing how the special effects of a movie are made. Like, you just that much more fun to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, but, in slow mo and just, just, watching well,
1: just a, I never did it just, in slow
2: mo. Well, speak, oh. Speaking of the Great American wow. Bash. Excuse me. Speaking of the Great American Bash, that that spectacle, in my opinion, is one of the greatest wrestling events I've ever seen. Um, could you kind of talk a little bit about the initial bash in 85 and then uh, 86 when it started touring the country?
0: All right, let's uh refresh me on 85. That was Memorial Stadium, Charlotte? I'm sorry, say again. Was it Memorial Stadium in Charlotte? Was that uh 85? You got to fr- refresh my memory, which I was the referee with uh, Nikita and Ivan against uh, – no, uh, Nikita was against Rick. We had 22,000 C- uh, people at the Memorial Stadium outside in Charlotte. Is that the one or which one?
1: I think that was because I think the whole the whole idea of you taking that sickle was to build that event up uh, with, uh, with right. Flair and Nikita, yes.
2: Right, and then, yeah, yeah and, that was and- – Yeah, 85 was the main event with Dusty Rhodes and Tully in the
1: cage. Yes,
0: yes.
2: And Rick came uh, down in a helicopter.
0: It uh, was uh, Harold Johnson was the ring announcer. He was the sports director at WSOC-TV in Charlotte. And he got them uh, to use their helicopter, bring Rick in for the match. Oh, it was, yeah. It was worth it then. You know, if uh, it was like I said before, if uh, if the fans didn't come, then it wasn't worth it. You right. Know, and it was a money sickle, Ben. Right. Yeah. Uh,
2: when the fans came, it was a money sickle. It was worth it. Yeah. That. Yeah. That. If the eighty eighty five also. I mean, obviously he's important to our show, but eighty five was the Jimmy Valiant and the Dog Collar match. So. Uh. Th- yeah. That was. That was an interesting match. Jimmy
0: Vance always, you know, he's a character.
1: That, he's still wearing one. the
0: same wrestling trunks, you know. <laughs> right. And he's probably uh, 70 pounds lighter, but
1: you know, he, he, he still
0: goes in the ring. I've seen does. him in the ring.
1: Every Saturday. Yeah.
0: Still still yeah. cut. And, and Ricky Morton. Think about Ricky. You know, I know I'm changing the subject here. Ricky Morton, he still wrestles. Yeah. Robert, you know, had a hip replacement, so he can't wrestle.
2: Yeah, I, I just First, uh, saw a, uh, an event, what, about a year and change ago that came through here, Ricky, team with his son. Yes. Now, his son is going to go places. Yeah, he's, he's got the good. head
0: for wrestling. He's got the body. He's got the voice. Uh, and he, he and I have talked several times. He said, uh, And Ricky's, Ricky said, the mandate is he gets his college degree and after that, he could you know, he can wrestle full time full time. But up until then, you know, he only wrestles part time. So and he's doing great. He really is. He's he's gonna be good.
1: Uh, isn't he he's the not a big uh, guy. Junior heavyweight he's not a big champion, guy. I
2: think. And he was, yeah. He, okay he was he, in the NWA, yeah. he he'd already yeah, uh, uh,
0: Billy Corrigan really likes him, put him on the he put him on the contract you know, to work with him, but I don't know what Billy's going to do now. They lost the CW.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> that was kind of, that was kind of foolish.
2: Oh, uh, yes. Just yeah, yeah. think. Yeah. He start, yeah, started
0: he away the to, CW. Oh, he, you know, he taught me, talked to me for the longest time about helping him, you know, uh, once he got the contract for the CW, as far as in the back, you know, uh, making sure, you know, everything was right. Television was, but yeah, we blew, blew that up. <laughs> what a shame. Either he did or somebody went off
2: script. You, you, you would hope it was just a bad choice and you don't have somebody that has experienced and long for the business as James Mitchell is doing say, something yeah, that crazy without I approval.
1: I don't think James Mitchell would go in business for himself.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, anyway. I mean, yeah. Well, I guess maybe in the weeks to follow, we will definitely find out
1: because oh, yeah. nobody's going to be able to keep a secret. No. <laughs> right. Was it telephone to a <laughs> telegraph? Tell <tele-wrestler>? That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. David, after um, after JCP was sold to Turner, were you still involved?
0: Yes. Uh, we, uh, each of us had a five-year consulting agreement. Oh, okay. All right. That was, you know, it was, you know, eventually, I think about three months into it, uh, Jimmy and Jack Petrick, who was the person that Ted appointed to take us, you know, when Ted bought us, no one on the board of directors wanted to take us. No one can you imagine? Here's really the head of Turner broadcasting. He buys this company and he goes to the board of directors and nobody wants to touch it. It's a stigma, you know, these guys, you know, Oh, wrestling. Ah, not that it has four hours on TBS and we're number one in each hour. We're bringing in gobs of money. Right, you know, in commercial time, to they lump us into Saturday sports, so the Braves and the Hawks can cume their ratings, uh, and nobody wants us. So uh, Ted appointed Jack Petrick, and uh, after three months, Jack and Jimmy got in, you know, into a, an argument. Jimmy told him he was t- dumb as dirt, <laughs> so uh, that didn't help.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's when uh Jim Hurd came in and Jim's military background didn't help. Yeah, you know, nice guy, but trying to be military to these guys? No. No. Too late. Too late. So uh yeah, I did it for five years and I sort of found a niche. It was you might say, Call me Mikey. Uh they would give me things thinking I'd fail, and they said Well, go get us television in L.A. I went, oh, okay. You know, and so I start calling around to people and found out that Claire Rothman, who was uh, the manager of the uh, what is it, the, the forum, uh, she knew another friend of mine, so I was invited to go out there to watch the Lakers, and oh, that was And then she put me in contact with the program director at KCAL. So uh, the rest is history. I brought back a contract. We had to pay uh, money, but it was by commercial time. So I did that. I did syndication uh, for uh, out west uh, to anything past the Mississippi river i uh, i started uh well i uh, always worked with the television you know that right. was mine for the longest time until jim and nance uh announcing with tony and bob Cottle, and then jim Hurt said david uh you're not going to tv tonight you're going to come have dinner with me and so that stopped that cuz i was you know anything television i would do the site surveys and camera placement, and you name it, I would do it, the phone lines. You know, and it got to the point that even I, when I didn't announce, I was definitely in charge of the television end of it, as far as making sure we had the uplinks, making sure that uh, the truck had everything, that we had printers, that we had catering, that our phone lines, uh, generators to back up the building, the backup TV trucks. I ended up with 13 tractor trailers on the road, two TV trucks, two uplinks, a generator truck that was a tractor trailer, and it had two huge generators on it. He said, you got enough power here to power a small town. So, you know, and then when we went digital, we were the first division of Turner to go digital, I worked with my generator company to uh, cogeneration, where you have electrical power and generator power, and it goes in and it's sort of massaged. So a digital signal doesn't like fluctuation. And so this kept the signal steady to the generator trucks and uplinks. So that was great. So yeah, I ended up with Eric, and I was vice president of television production. Okay. Yeah, he made me that until that end. I was uh, director of it. I guess. Okay. Yeah,
2: that's. Not, I mean, that's that's still you know, it's funny how how that the the, it's kind of in your blood because obviously Jim Crockett had a reputation as the hardest working promoter in wrestling. I mean, at one point, didn't the rumor, I don't know rumor, uh, how much of it's true, but they, they say he didn't even have a secretary or an assistant. He would plan do all answer his own phone and do all his own planning and everything.
0: That is right. He ran the company out of his shirt pocket.
1: Wow. Yeah, the only,
0: uh, the only help he had was my mother and she kept
2: the books. That's, wow. that's what they said. That's his, amazing. his, uh, His office was smaller than the closet he kept the suits in. That's right. (laughs)
1: Wow. Very
2: true. Very true. It's crazy. It was. uh,
0: Now he did have an office at the house, and my mother uh, bought some new carpet, and it was sort of a uh, what beige or uh, almost white. And wrestlers walked in uh, one rainy day and tracked mud in. Uh the next day she went out and got him a, par- a office, you know, <laughs> in, a, in a vacant house. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> yeah. There you yeah. go. She said, They're not coming in here anymore. Boom. So, yeah. And yeah, it was 11 <laughs> East Moorhead. Yeah, you know, and we and we gradually grew uh with that. You know, when my brother in law, Johnny Ringley, uh joined the company. I was the last one in the family to to join the company and that was because dad had a heart attack they asked me to come back i was at east tennessee state and they said we need you so and to me you know you know i was studying accounting and business administration you know at that time you know in the the, uh, late sixties, early seventies, uh, if you really wanted television training, in television, you had to go to TV station or go out to, uh, Southern Cal or something you know, out to California, which didn't, didn't make sense. So I ended up learning the hard way, you know, that, you know, going to the TV station, sitting in the back, uh, learning how to pull cable, uh, how to set up the uh, studio cameras How to uh, use a handheld and learn in you know, it enough that I understood same thing with tape. Uh, what would go wrong with the tape machine? How do you cool them down? You spray them with Freon, you know, it just all those different things. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's why, you know, I did, I was, we had a baseball team, a double a baseball team and. and was my job to renovate the ballpark that we bought from the Minnesota Twins, and we bought a team out of Asheville, uh, which was a double-A team for Baltimore. Eddie Murray was my first player. Oh, wow. And mm-hmm. so, Isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Eddie Murray came through, Cal Ripken, Jr.
2: The diehard uh, Orioles t- fan. That means so much to me.
0: Oh, yeah. I, my sister took it over after the first year, and I went on to set up our Television. I uh, we found a, a television truck in eastern North Carolina. Uh, an evangelist had it. it had some machines ripped everything out and started over again. I hired Emerson Lawson from Jefferson Production in Charlotte. They did all the ACC uh, events. He had an Emmy for the Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. It had to do when the America beat Russia. And oh, ice hockey. Yeah. And then Beautiful, Wayne nice. Daniel, who was a tape operator from WRAL TV, he was my uh, assistant engineer tape and uh, main tape operator. And we started taking the truck apart. And I'm, man, I learned how to splice cable and everything. It was fun. <laughs> fun. Got a Grass Valley switcher, you know, nice audio board. A machine at that time, a, a tape editing, a digital edit. Well, yeah, at that time it was digital. Yeah. Tatsi tape machines. Then we went and bought 12 two inch machines from ESPN. They were switching over to one inch. And we, a lot of our stations in the South still use two inch. So. We bought all those machines, and uh, we used four for dubbing, and the rest for parts. You know, to keep the machines going. Wow. Had eighty-two syndicated stations that we syndicated our program to, besides DBS,
1: So yeah, I I kept busy. Absolutely. So. David, we would be remiss as wrestling journalists if we didn't ask you this now versus then question. So the date, October 24th, 1986, Charlotte, North Carolina. Dusty Road needs a partner to face Ole Anderson and J.J. J. Dillon. And who appears but your arch nemesis, Nikita Koloff. And the, the crowd absolutely erupted. I mean, I've seen that so many times. To me, it's one of the most emotional moments in the history of wrestling. You have a crowd that's 100% emotionally invested at in that moment. And now you've, that's, that's 1986. 2023, I watched Monday Night Raw um, on Monday night, and it, it reminded me of a sing-along. In fact, I posted something on Facebook. When did wrestling become a sing-along? Seth Rollins came out, and everybody's singing along. Cody Rhodes comes out, and everybody's singing along to his. Sami Zayn, you know, same thing. It's like, you know, you're 20 minutes in, and nobody's wrestled yet. So- um, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, we, we talked about it before that, I mean, you mentioned that people back then, you know, the crowd, they came to see wrestling and, uh, you know, as an old school wrestling fan, I want to see wrestling. I don't, if I want to watch a sing along, I'll, I'll watch, I'll go back and watch MTV.
0: I guess the best thing I can say is I hate it.
1: I try not to
0: watch. Sometimes I do. I, I can't, I've yet to get through a full program. It ain't you know, easy. I get so mad, I get so mad, so frustrated, that I, I just can't watch it. You know, uh yeah, it just ah. sometimes I start screaming at it. You know, that it's but I but mean there again, he's he's you know, uh WWE is G rated. So you're gonna have a you're gonna have a a, a sing along. You know, uh you know, this is the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> Ah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went to my first event in 1968. Uh, the, the Island Guards in Hempstead, New York, was Bruno San Martino versus Toro Tanaka. And I can tell you, I mean, if it still feels like yesterday. It was 55 years ago. And I I can think of maybe uh, 75 words to describe what I felt that night. But I, I would not include fun. And, 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 you know, it was like my heart was in my throat. You know, it was the anticipation, like God, like what happens if Bruno loses? Uh, You know, that was the emotions that were going through my mind. Now it's like you're going, you're going somewhere where, you know, you're going to be able to sing along and have fun. And it's like the wrestling is almost an afterthought now.
0: Right. Why pay all that money? I mean, you think about you only have so much expendable income now, Mm -hmm. Uh, parking, concessions t-shirts other novelties and then to sit through that people do it but i'm sorry you know uh, i guess i am you know i'm i'm a different generation i you know if
2: no well they do it especially considering uh you know it, what was it Benny when, when we were talking about with the when the WrestleMania tickets in Philadelphia and I'm not trying to pick on just WrestleMania AEW is expensive too but it was the front row tickets started at like eight thousand or something was, like it, that yeah it was
1: like you need to get a second mortgage
2: eight, eight to <laughs> eleven grand depending on which VIP package you're buying you know? to, 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 yeah to sing along oh wow yeah and that's just so you could get to touch
0: the wrestler for two seconds
1: yeah, right oh no, no, thank uh, you
0: and. So you you you're paying for all that merchandise you're buying, you know, with that ticket, uh, and, and probably putting it on a credit off. card.
1: You can't afford to pay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So yeah, it's, it's why exactly why is is a it, good it, good question.
0: Well, you know, if you look at most television shows now, they're they're uh, they're not. You know, the over the air stations, I like call the networks. They're they're sort of G rated. They're you know, they're not as intense as they used to be, unless maybe after what, ten o'clock at night or later. Uh well those are cable stations that uh you know will put something a little bit more intense on, or your uh pay channels, you know, uh, showtime, uh HBO. You know, those are, you'll have some intense ones there, but, you know, the over the air, no. you know, it's just blah. Matter of fact, yeah. I don't, I, I stream now everything I, you know, because uh, if I want to watch something over there, I'll just, I've got a antenna. I'll just, you know, I might watch the news or something like that, but <sighs> really can't watch the networks. Preaching to the choir.
2: I can understand yeah. that. Well,
0: yeah. The the secret dancer or whatever that thing is.
2: Oh, the mass singer?
0: Yeah, the mass singer. Yeah, nah. <laughs> Dancing with the
2: stars.
1: Yeah. I've never seen okay. a single second of that.
2: Be- Benny Benny I, likes I've seen to, the uh, commercials, that's it. Benny likes to hide it, but he keeps cable just so he can watch that show about the Kardashians, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Actually, i haven't watched that either
1: no oh, well. same here
2: <laughs> ne- never not a second you know david we uh the whole reason we wanted to bring you on i mean, obviously we wanted to talk to you but this kind of all started to to, to bring up a promotion um A David Crockett live appearance is the promotion. uh, Yeah, I mean, a David Crockett (laughs) live appearance about as rare as a four leaf clover, you know, uh, a a double rainbow, a buffalo nickel. You do not see David Crockett coming to to live wrestling events anymore. But and this means so much to me being my, my hometown. You will be appearing in Norfolk for Virginia Championship Wrestling at a taping. They're doing their tidings of destruction event December 2nd. And the reason you're going to be there, other than, I mean, who wouldn't want David Crockett at the wrestling event, is a dear friend of the show, dear friend of ours, uh, Mr. George Pontus, is retiring after more than 50 years in the wrestling business. So I kind of have a two-parter for you. One, uh, can you kind of tell us what George meant to wrestling and and JCP and everything he did? And do you have a good George story for us? I met George first time at the Scope, of course. Mm-hmm. And the Murnicks,
0: uh, especially uh, with Joe Murnick, uh, was with my partner with my father up in that area. And then uh, his sons, Elliot Murnick, Carl, especially Elliot. And we'd go up there. I'd go up there, too. And because it, uh, part of the time, everything was done in cash. So at the night, you're paid in cash. And I'd take the cash, throw it in my trunk, and go go to the next town, get the cash, you know, go to Richmond, go to go to Roanoke and, you know, I had to have cash sitting in the back. So, and we'd count it Sunday. Uh, so uh, I met George, you know, through Elliot and uh, what a great, you know, he, uh, a great front man, just talk your head off, knows everybody, introduce you to everybody, uh, a wonderful individual. And over the years, he's done so much to help, us and help wrestling you know in the norfolk area that uh, really you know uh, he's uh, he's one of the best yeah you know, it's sorry that uh he's stepping down i understand why you know he's got uh grandchildren and he wants to spend time with them so plus he doesn't want to take bumps
2: anymore <laughs> <laughs> I could I could understand that 50 years absolutely yeah. incredible. But something George wanted to mention I know it's already been announced, but we're gonna we're gonna plug it on the show as well. Is not just the, is VCW having their like I said their tidings of destruction event. All the 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 best stars in the mid Atlantic region are gonna be there. Uh, main event. Obviously, you've got your new, newly crowned VCW champion. Virginia just ran their first show in Alexandria a few uh, last month. Um, he's defending the title against Brandon Scott, who's a former guest on the show. Just great stuff to look forward to. But George wanted us to mention that you are going to do a special photo op ringside with a microphone. And anybody, and I said this, and I, I'm sorry if I'm going to kind of fangirl out a little bit for you, but anybody who grew up watching uh, Crockett Promotions, WCW always wanted to stand ringside next to David Crockett. You're holding the mic for Jim Cornette. You're holding the mic for Sting. You, you and Tony Schiavone. Everybody standing there. You've got this great, great run. You, fans have the option to take a picture with you holding the microphone, being pretending to be your, your uh, cohort or being interviewed. I mean, that's got to be great yeah, stuff. But yeah, interviewing them.
0: You know, it's it's the least I can do for them. They made us what we were you know without the fans we'd be nothing and so uh, i it's a privilege to be able to do that you know with the fans it's and and then to to listen to them about what they loved about the wrestling i mean you know i don't know if we have enough time you know uh, i'll stay there until everybody's that wants a picture gets a picture to me that's that's the only way to do it yeah, I I am so appreciative of the fans uh, that they made my life so special that this is a way I can thank them.
2: Well, well I mean, there you have it, wrestling fans. Uh, VCW wrestling j- or just made your dream come true. If you were a fan of uh, j- Jim Crockett Promotions, you will have the opportunity to get your picture taken, David Crockett at ringside. Benny, I, I know we say it every time. I feel like we could keep talking, but as we wrap up. Final question to you. What are you thinking?
1: I was going to ask Mister Crockett if, like, for five grand, can a fan give him a Russian sickle? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no. No. Not not negotiable, huh? Uh, uh,
0: no, 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 no.
1: <laughs> because that wouldn't pay for the hospital bill. <laughs> That's true.
2: <laughs> Just the ambulance ride would cost that much. That's, yeah, you got you got a good point there. You know, yeah. I, I hate. I hate to say it, uh, Nikita was just in town for his touring lectures uh, that he does. I mean, he's not going to be too far up, up the street. Maybe we could uh, we could get him to swing by once more for old time's sake.
0: Oh yes, yes, that would be great. <laughs> I, he is he'll,
2: such uh, such a, uh, a unique individual. He'll, he is. He'll, he'll uh, show yeah, the had, uh, uh, he. I, I know it, he was on the receiving end as well, and and it led to some great stuff. But maybe he could show the fans what a uh, what a Russian signal's supposed to look like.
0: Oh yeah, and he's still in shape too. Oh, he looks good. He really does. Yeah, unlike some of us. But yeah, he <laughs> he's
2: kept in shape. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, I I, I want to wrap up again thank you thank you so much for your time this is a dream come true as a fan um you mentioned that before we started recording and i I wanted to plug it to get it out there um you have a monthly exclusive series it's called the book uh you sit down david crockett you sit down with conrad thompson and look back at the formidable years of jim crockett promotions you go month by month town by town gate by gate through the logs uh uh, you talk, you know, you have Jim Crocker Jr.'s books. Um, I, Can you kind of kind of plug the show kind of and, and also kind of how did that come about? It came about I was doing an interview
0: with Tony Schiavone and Conrad and uh, because they're guests. It was matter of fact, it was around Christmas, Thanksgiving. And uh, I said, sure, I would do it. You know, since you can't find anybody else and so i just had the book beside me while i was talking i said held it up and said tony you remember this and he went oh my word and so i said yeah i've got i've got three years of these books so uh and and that's what we do uh you know if you're a true fan yeah you might be interested you know i'm not i'm not on here to plug that show i'm 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 here to talk to you guys and about wrestling, and and I'd love to do it again, really. So, no, we, you know, anytime to you guys, you, you, you've got you've got my number and I've got
2: yours. So, you you bye. will not have to ask twice. This is Absolutely like I said, I, I'm no. I'm in Norfolk. I grew up with with Crockett and the early days of WCW. So the chance to talk to you, dream come true, will not have to think twice about having you back on because we, I mean, we were going through career. We stopped in great american bash 86 we still got a whole decade and then we didn't even get to your modern involvement with wrestling and the reboot and the retirement there's so much more we could talk about this has been great stuff and, and i cannot thank you enough for your time
0: oh you're entirely welcome you know really i i i do appreciate it it's 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 my my pleasure to work to talk to you guys
2: absolutely well there you have it folks David Crockett, with his shout out, he will be per- per- appearing in Norfolk, Virginia, December 2nd to celebrate the retirement of George Pontus at VCW Tidings for Destruction. Jim Crockett promotions the pinnacle of territory wrestling for the era for David Crockett himself and JCP for the play of Benny Scala. I'm Dan channel. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring.